Hey, welcome back for another episode of the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Uh, today, I'm going to cut the intro, music, all that stuff. I'm going to get right into it. Actually, I didn't have an episode for you as regularly uh, scheduled this week. The team over at Zenium, we've been really busy putting together our annual event. We call it the uh, Leadership and Economic Summit. And we do it, this is the seventh year we've been doing it, where we always host a, a an economist to come kind of give an update at the local and macro level. And then we always round out the event with a CEO panel. And that's always really fun to hear what what's keeping CEOs up at night and, you know, how, how folks in the area are running their business and, you know, what's on their minds with their people and all that. So I, uh, since I failed to get you an episode on Tuesday, I'm going to release a segment of that CEO panel where they talk. There's three CEOs in particular, and you'll hear three different voices, uh, along with our moderator and Donovan uh, of Zenium. She's our president of Zenium. And they talk about engaging employees, developing culture, and strategies for attracting and retaining talent. And what's interesting, so these three CEOs, I'll name them right now, uh, Kyle Stavig, uh, he's the CEO at Myers Container their uh, industrial organization. And then we have Graciela Gomez-Cowger. She's the CEO of a law firm, Schwabi, Williamson & Wyatt. And then Sadie Lincoln, she's the CEO and founder of Bar3. So these are three CEOs with very uh, different organizations across different industries. They are all facing a lot of the same issues uh, with attracting and retaining talent and developing cultures, of course, in their mind. But I think you're really going to enjoy what they have to say about how they're engaging their talent, how they're attracting people and, you know, what they're doing to build culture. So I'm going to step out of the way and I hope you enjoy this segment. Of course, the audio is not perfect because it was a live event. But I think you're going to enjoy it nonetheless. And we'll be back next week with, uh, I got tons of content for you. So it's definitely coming. But uh, yeah, enjoy and feel free to reach out to me if you if you like this sort of thing. We do live events all the time. So recording this and putting it on the podcast feed is easy for us to do. Thanks so much. into some of the issues that John was talking about earlier in terms of, you know, the market has been really good um, for quite a long time, and especially this past year. So our clients are telling us that, um, you know, attracting and retaining talent is one of the biggest issues that, that they're experiencing. So, so Kyle, I'll, I'll kind of pivot and start with you. What are some of those things that, that your company is doing to address um, the culture issues that we know are engagement of employees is a big, big part of what keeps people interested in coming to our company and then staying once they're there. So what are some of those unique things that you're doing to engage your employees in the culture? Uh, money and, is important, very important compensation uh, and opportunity, but it's all around engagement. Uh, I spend a significant amount of time uh, working on our business system, which is based on the Toyota production system. I spend a lot of time in Japan studying from, the, from Toyota. Uh, I spend a lot of time at the military institutes at either the Air Force Academy or at the uh, West Point and really studying, understanding engagement and how they do that. And for us, uh, and how uh, Toyota is successful, is engaging people on a daily basis, meeting them where they're at and engaging them. Some of our jobs aren't very savory, so how do you get somebody that's doing moving a widget uh, 6,000 times a day, how do you get them to think about problem solving and how you do that? And Toyota has uh, 
got a masterful way of they do that. We run a process in our company, and, and so for us, it's, it's about engagement and meeting those folks there. Uh, it's not a perfect system, but it's our attempt as to how to get people to come in and learn uh, our business. They don't teach it anywhere, and how to be part of a team and be successful, and that, the Toyota production system is how we do that. Great. Thank you. Graciela, I know you were talking when we were chatting earlier about what the uniquenesses of uh, culture engagement for a law firm, which is a long-standing industry. Uh, share some of the things that you and your firm have been working on. You know, I came to this position with a, a really deep understanding of what culture means, and, and culture sometimes is pegged with being sort of a soft asset. It's, it's a nice thing if you got it. It's uh, a thing to fix if you blew it somehow. Um, I think of it as a hard asset. It's the way that you can attract talent. It's the way that you can retain talent. It's the way that you can communicate, that you can get the right kinds of folks, that you can get engagement, that you can get connection. And so what we did, what we are actually in the middle of doing right now is we, we took to measure what our current culture is. Lots of people would say, oh, you don't want to change that because that will affect our current. God forbid we want to negatively affect our current, never knowing really what our current culture is. Um, so we took to, turns out that you can measure that. I'm, a, I'm a, an engineer first a long time ago, so I have a very, um, a very comfortable understanding of metrics and numbers. I worked in manufacturing, actually, and then I decided to take the leap into the dark side. <laughs> so, so we decided to go out and measure, and you can go out and measure your culture. That's what we're doing currently. We're trying to understand what kind of culture we are now and what kind of culture we aspire to be. And there's different kinds, and there's no really bad kind of culture. There, it just is, whatever your culture is, so long as there's not any sort of toxic nature to them, and some cultures can become that. So we're in the middle of that, and we're engaging with our, uh, our employees because we went out and measured, and it turns out that we are considered to be primarily market-driven or individual-driven currently, and we aspire to be much more collaborative. Uh, that's a kind of a new thing for, for lawyering in, a new, in many ways, and so we're, we're building up that kind of roadmap. What do you all mean by that? That's what we're in the middle of doing right now, and so we're engaging with our uh, all of our employees, from uh, attorneys all the way down to staff and, and record keepers and such. And we're trying to figure out what that means while keeping the client at the center. So our roadmap, assuming that there is a, a, a change that we want to do, our roadmap will be how do we keep the client at the center and become more collaborative, become more of the kind of culture we want to be, and how do we communicate that? Um, some of the what we know is that if we do that, that that changes the way we even communicate with our employees, right? If we are seeking to be much more collaborative, the messaging that we use to communicate with our employees will be much more in that vein, uh, that, we, that our compensation systems reward collaboration much more directly than they do, for example, individual uh, behaviors and individual performance. Um, so we're in the middle of figuring out what that means in a culture where we currently are, where, for example, our compensation systems are designed to reward individual performance. Um, so all of those kinds of things, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And that changing the, the infrastructure of your people practices is what reinforces 
those cultural shifts that you're looking for. We see that a lot in the, the work that we do with our clients, too. Sure. So, Sadie, I know you have a lot to say about this topic, too, so share with us what some of those cultural things that are important at Bar 3. Well, <laughs> to start with, people are our opportunity. I think every single person in the room would agree with that. The people that come to you are your opportunity. They're also our key constraint to growth. And I always look at culture inside first, and I start with myself and how I'm showing up every day and um, how self-aware I am as a leader, um, how willing I am to admit when I fail and to lean into struggle um, and relax into struggle and move forward and show the team how to do that, how I take care of people in the in-between moments, not on a stage, um, how I um, help clean mats after class with our deep cleaners, um, all the in-between moments, how we show up, I think is how culture is born and over and over and over again. And when I first started Bar 3, I taught 19 classes. I did everything. My husband and I held babies in childcare and checked everyone in, and we were it. And because of that, we grew this organic culture. It just happened over the years. And about three years ago, I realized I needed to be intentional about it. And I really fought that because when we started the company, we put away all the business books because for us, business was failing us. And we just wanted to operate from our souls and our values, and that worked. But then I realized, okay, now we're big. I need to have some systems in place because this is breaking down. Uh, people don't you know, understand us anymore, and they don't really know that what we're about. And um, so we're very intentional about culture. We have vision, mission, values. We train, we develop um, around that, and we spend time every single day on that because, again, that's our key constraint. Um, if we don't spend time every single day on our culture and on our people and taking care of our people um, every single day, that's the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning, then we will not grow. Yeah, well said. And, and how would you describe the franchise environment? Is there um, other layers to that uh, structure that you have to keep in mind in growing a franchise organization? Certainly. Is anyone here a franchisee? Franchisor? Um, oh, I was going to commiserate with you afterwards. Um, it is an amazing model because I trust and empower owner-operators, and most of them are women, and we're really similar. Mm -hmm. And that's an exciting thing to be able to empower her to have her own business. That's an important value of mine. So what happens with franchising is they come in enamored and excited, and they spend a lot of money to be a part of what we've created, and, to, and it's a mutual kind of trust fall. And um, they meet us at the beginning, and then they build their own community, and they have their own hopefully thriving business. And then they kind of stop needing us as much, <laughs> and the royalty fee every month is like, there's this whole like psychology of emotions that happens. And uh, so our job, um, my job as a franchisor is to have a trusting relationship with every single woman, mostly there's a couple of men, who have put their life savings into my business and remember every single day that my job is to show up for them and to show them and sell into them that I'm helping them grow sustainably, um, that they need me and that I need them. And that is a conscious practice and constant dialogue um, that we have. And we have a really open, transparent dialogue about it too. Like, this is hard. This is a hard relationship. Yeah. Um, it's actually not you know, always going to be easy and we have to work through it because we're in it together in a rising tide. You know, lifts all boats. 
And it truly evolves over time, right? The way it was when you first engaged with that franchisee. So much so. It's a lot like marriage. Yeah. <laughs> you got to keep it hot. You got to keep know? working on it. Yeah. Keep it hot. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> well, and, and that's a nice uh, segue to growing businesses. And I know that's um, something that all three of you are cognizant of. So how do you, Kyle, align um, your talent in communicating the vision and the growth strategies with your team and get them to buy in in those goals? Uh, our growth has been, we bought the original company in 2007, and we, we've grown it by 500% uh, since that period of time. Our growth has been through acquisitions. So the discussion about the culture becomes really important because we're normally inheriting somebody else's culture. So it, we don't have an organic culture. We, we really, in fact, sometimes it'd be easier to start with an organic and build it up. You're, you're sometimes having to turn the ship when they're there. Uh, and how we do that is when, in our acquisitions, what, what our whole philosophy and discussion has been, we become a collection of brands. So we never brand anything that we buy as our own. We, we leave that brand in place and really kind of play to the hubris of the people that we bought, that we buy really strong companies and we want to foster and do that. And they may do it slightly different than us, and that should be collaborative. So our discussion on all these acquisition targets is, look, I don't know the answer to that. But if we get together, we'll make the right decision together for the business. And, and I'm not big enough and good enough to, to run every business that we have. We really need good people that are coming along. And, and so I learned from these people that had had really successful businesses in different geographies to kind of teach us or be a mentor to me. So for us, this has been a symbiotic relationship. The way we take that from the C-suite and then be able to deploy that is we use our business system, which is really based on a... It's called an X matrix. It's a very simple uh, uh, way of communicating a strategy. Uh, everything in our company is done on a, either an X matrix or an A3. And that, that tool doesn't mean much to anybody here other than I can say it's done on a single sheet of paper. So our strategic plan is a single sheet of paper. Now behind that will be weeks and weeks of work that get it to that. But if you have, uh, if you have to write down, a, 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 you have two hours to write a speech, you can go on and on and on. If you have five minutes to write a speech, you're going to have to be a lot more concise. So in order to transition this to all levels in our company, making it really simple for our people to understand what our strategy is, is important. So we do that with our X matrix. And then any of our strategic initiatives in the company all run from an A3. And those elements are always the same. What's our current state? What's the future state? What's the gap? And what, what are we going to do to get there? And we just repeat that process. So we get down to some really simple tools so that we're communicating very complex things in a very simple manner, and people can weigh in it. Now, behind that, we'll have you know, reams and reams of information, but people aren't going to read that. And so we get about 140 characters, as you know, with Twitter to be able to communicate yeah. something. So that's, that's how we, we deploy our strategy in our company. That's great. Thank you. And in the spirit of embracing change and, and looking at this tight labor market, I, I think we have to talk a little bit about you know, attracting and retaining talent. So Sadie, share a little bit about what creative strategies you've used in this tight labor market. You're looking for a, a variety of different people, mm -hmm. franchisees as well as employees. What's been successful for you as the, the market tightens? <clears throat> yeah, the boutique space has exploded since 08 when I opened. Um, and bar specifically, my category is a new category that's now known. When I started, it wasn't known. And so it's highly competitive. And over and over again, I go back to looking inside because for us, what's worked for us over and over again is to create what we call workplace awesomeness, which is like a giant magnet for the right talent. 
Um, the more we focus in on our people and our day-to-day -day activities and how we're taking care of our people and remembering the client and remembering what we're best at and staying there, strategically partnering with people that can help fill in um, so that we are all directed and we're all focused and everybody in our company feels like they have meaning and purpose and they're trusted and empowered with clear, measurable goals. That's workplace awesomeness. They're seen and heard and they're moving towards something important. We found that over and over again, and I really think this crosses Indian industry, um, that those people are the ones that end up attracting the next, the next wave and the next wave. And the other thing that's really important to having a culture that's attractive, and the other thing is, I used to attract like the C players, the ones that maybe like loved bar three and um, you know, needed bar three, and I found that really endearing, so I would pull them in and then spend a lot of time helping them. And that didn't work for us. Uh, what works much better is when I find people who I need. And I'm, tracking, tra I'm attracting the A player, not the B player, not the B plus, the, B the A plus player. <laughs> um, and then really, truly empowering them over and over again. That doesn't always work. And so I think a huge part of attracting and retaining talent is actually letting go of talent. And that's definitely my biggest work and the hardest thing to do. But one of my mantras is let them outgrow me. Hmm. You know, it's not a good fit. Let them outgrow me. And um, continuously weeding um, so that there's more room for the next person and just trusting that that person will, will come and, it, you know, long to hire, quick to fire. Um, that process over and over again has helped us. Kyle, how about you? Well, the talent for us, a little bit interesting, picking a lot of stuff up what you're saying there, Sadie. Uh, in our term, we use our produ Toyota production system, and I'll give you an example in a minute how we do that, but it all starts with our foundation, customer first, we talked about that, I've got to have the customer say and respect for people. I had a mentor early on, and uh, you just hit on something early on, said, give me your definition of respect for people, and I said, we all have a job for life, we're around here, we're, we're family, and like, well, you're kind of onto something, but that isn't exactly it. Respect for people means you also have to develop your people. You've got to develop them continually. And just having them come in and not develop them, you're not being very respectful. The second element of that is you have a job, if you have 500 people that want to do something and one person that doesn't want to, you have a job to either get that person, coach them up or coach them out. Out of respect to the other 499, that's your job as a CEO, as a leader. You have to make that tough decision. And so sometimes uh, stopping the bus and letting somebody off is the most difficult thing you have to do. Um, is part of that, so our development for people, how do we do it? I'll give you an example in our company. I, I give this example and people find this fascinating. In our company, uh, we run what we call a rapid improvement event. It starts every Monday. We have a different initiative at every factory on a Monday. We follow a nine-step process. And on Monday morning, we give a team of 10 people, oftentimes don't even know each other. We put them in a room and give them a project, big, hairy project. Two weeks ago, the project was on Monday morning. We got a team together in our Portland office and we said, we, we've got a $300,000 problem. We needed to solve it. So we had somebody from the shop floor, somebody from the office, customer, supplier, people from other locations. We put them in a room and said, follow this facilitated process. Well, the first response from everybody in the room is, well, that can't be done. That's a bit insulting. If, if we could have found that, we would have done that already, right? The second thing would have been, we got a bunch of dummies working here. And if we got rid of these dummies and got smarter people, 
this would get a lot easier. It's like, okay, well, neither one of those are going to happen, so just follow the nine-step process because there's nobody else who's going to show up here tomorrow, okay? So then we check in again at Tuesday at 4 p.m., and at 4 p.m., the team will report out what they've done going through this nine-step process. So they've marinated on this issue for two days, and it's always the same on Tuesday afternoon. Sir, there, can we adjust the $300,000 goal to 50000 that seems to be more realistic, we, we kind of agreed. And the answer is no, and you can't change the people or the team, but do you need any resources, you need money, time, effort, what do you need? And so that's where the Tuesday call is. Wednesday, 4 p.m. is our next check-in. It's always the same. Sir, we've got 35 experiments we're gonna run in the next 48 hours. Some of them will pass, some of them will fail. You've told us we gotta follow this process and we're gonna follow this. We'll talk to you at Friday at 8 a.m. So at 8 a.m. on Friday, that team, a lot of them may not have a high school education, that team reports out on Friday morning, and what do you think I got? I get the 300,000, I get it every week. And the common response is, oh my God, why didn't we do this sooner? And these people are the greatest people I've ever worked with. Oh my God, this is wonderful. And so for us, that culture discussion is we repeat that and we get our 500 people to the company, we just run that sausage grinder. So people that are coming in doing a mundane job, when we get that engagement, all of a sudden you've taken a guy that's doing this 6,000 times a day and you're telling him to solve a freight problem. He doesn't even know what that is. That is the kind of engagement where you're really developing human beings because somehow they had the wherewithal to show up, be part of their soccer team, go to church, get their kids to school, whatever it is. They, they, if we focus them on a problem, it kind of changes. They, they start not thinking about this so much, and they're starting to think about how to do better. And that's, that's how we create our culture and, and retain our people. And they're closest to the work, right? So they have great ideas that they don't even realize probably until you get them in that process. Uh, it's probably understood from the CEOs that are here in this room, the directors, um, we're servant leaders. They are the surgeons. Nobody buys anything from me. They buy it from them. They make the stuff. They get it delivered and do it. I'm just the, kind of the facilitator and the ringleader, but I don't make any, and I don't bill it. I don't buy it. They do it. So when you start really thinking about you become a servant leader and getting the surgeons in a better place, how do you get that person to be more effective, to be able to take care of the patient, to fix the problem, teach this child, whatever it is, that process is really around enablement and getting those people to be successful. And it's it's... We've been doing this uh, since we bought the company in 2007, and we just keep upping every year more and more deep into this. Uh, if you were to go to Japan and you would talk to somebody that's at Toyota that's been doing this, I didn't create any of this. I just shamelessly steal all of it. Um, in Toyota, they've been doing it for 70 years, and if you sat here today with two Toyota CEOs that were different companies, they would sit there and say, oh, we're awful. We're an awful company. And yet they've been doing it for 70 years. So you never get there. It's just continuous improvement, continuous self-actualization, what happens there. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc., 
For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.